the evolving challenge of insider risk. Secretary Chertoff discusses 5G in the US and where microservices and containers are falling short. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Nick Holland. Well, we're all back from RSA and in our respective editorial offices around the globe and digesting the phenomenal conversations and insights that we captured last week. I've been spoiled for choice in terms of what I should bring to this week's podcast, but I think I've picked some pretty interesting content from the smorgasbord available. Coming up, we have Michael Chertoff, Executive Chairman of the Chertoff Group and former Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, discussing 5G, supply chain and the inevitable Huawei. We also have some insights on containers and microservices with John Yeo, Global Vice President of Research at the Cloud Security Alliance. But first, one of the more common themes that we came across at RSA was insider risk. And Tom Field, ISMG's SVP of Editorial, hosted a stellar CISO panel discussion on the topic, including Dawn Capelli, Vice President of Global Security and CISO of Rockwell Automation, Sujit Bambawale, CISO of 7-Eleven, Solomon Adote, Chief Security Officer of the State of Delaware, and Tony Pepper, CEO and co-founder of Egress Software Technologies. Sajid came up with a great term for one of the most prevalent problems with insider risk, and what he called creative gone bad. And in this part of the conversation, the panel discusses how insider risk has evolved from something malicious to something more accidental. We'll start off with Solomon Adote. I think I can I can start that um, it started with just the ability to to really provide a better service. You know, you have a health and social services uh, individual trying to work better with somebody in the Department of Motor Vehicles to provide transportation or somebody who needs state services. They just go to send an email and then that risk happens. Or they try to work from home because they have to get to their kids and then they put some information on a USB stick. That's that risk happens. So it's all in the intended and in, in just looking for an opportunity to add value. And it creates this opportunity. When I started in this area in 2001, um, my big hope was that someday there would be a technology out there that would pull all these diverse data sources together and enable you to detect these things right away. And we've gotten to that point. So that's mm -hmm. very exciting to me. It used mm -hmm. to be much more manual. Mm -hmm. And thank you to the vendor community for actually making our jobs much easier than they used to be. But Don, also when you started, you were focused on that malicious insider. And I think it was you when you were at Carnegie Mellon that coined the phrase accidental insider. Mm -hmm. it's, the risk has evolved. Right, right. <clears throat> and the thing is, it may be accidental, but it's still putting your IP at risk That's or right. it's putting your network at risk if the accidental insider is downloading some kind of tool that is going to put your network at risk or might have ransomware in it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's still dangerous. You know, I try to put some structure around the why, mm -hmm. because I want to understand the mind of my adversary, whether it's internal or external. And I tend to break it down to four buckets. Competition, compensation, attribution, and affirmation. And I think that all four of those can apply to an insider as much as it applies to an external person. Mm -hmm. So for me, for those reasons, insider risk, accidental or not, uh, is something that we have to pay very close attention to. Mm -hmm. And certainly you are. 
Yeah, you know, I think Don makes a great point. I think 10 years ago, the technology just wasn't available to do this because, and look, it's a really complex problem, right? You know, mm-hmm. ultimately, you've got to look at human behavior mm-hmm. and you have to predict in real time when someone's about to make an error of judgment. I think, t- you know, the, the, the kind of, the cyber sc- uh, community often focuses on those malicious issues, which actually represents one or two percent of the, of the challenges that, that every business face. The overwhelming majority of, of cases is just accidental. But I think to capture that is a much, much more difficult problem. And therefore, technology does need to catch up. And that's where there's been a whole spate of machine learning that comes in. But I think if you now blend machine learning with kind of context the word DLP, to ultimately give people the ability to kind of understand where they're making mistakes or not, I think that's where you get something really meaningful. But I think one of the things that we see which is more concerning is actually the, the accidental breach of security is the most unreported breach globally. because And it sounds pretty obvious when you think about it. If I emailed Tom and Tom replied back to me and said, hey, was this meant for me? I think I wasn't, I'm not too sure if I'd raise my hand and kind of tell security because there's a kind of blame culture globally. Mm -hmm. But I think the second is probably more relevant to us all, which is if you send something accidentally to the wrong person and you don't know, how do you even know to report that? So I think one of the areas technology is also falling short with the enterprises Actually, CISOs don't have the data to actually tell them how big the problem really is. And one caution I always say anytime I talk to you, Tom, about insider threat or insider risk is people tend to think of insider threat as theft of IP. And insider cyber sabotage is still happening out there. Mm -hmm. And that's one that you really need to be on top of. And it's harder. It's much harder. But it's a really important threat to be aware of. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. If there's a nexus for many of the conversations at the RSA conference this year, it was China. Not just with concerns relating to COVID-19, but conversations related to election interference, state-sponsored cyber attacks such as Equifax and Marriott, and the evolution of telecommunications backbone and 5G networks, with the inevitable roads leading to Huawei. ISM News Executive Editor, Data Breach Day in Europe, Matthew Schwartz, had the opportunity to speak with Michael Chertoff, Executive Chairman of the Chertoff Group and former Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. They discussed a number of items pertaining to the 5G rollout in the US, and in this section of the interview, Matt asked the Secretary, what three things should the US be doing now to accelerate 5G deployment? Well, first thing, we need to begin to uh, allow the companies that are operating in the space to scale and to become price competitive. Now, right now, there's no American company that does it end to end. Ericsson and Nokia, which are obviously European, and Samsung and Korea do have a competitive suite of products, uh, but they're probably a little bit pricey. What we need to do is collaborate with our allies in Europe and in uh, Asia and to work together to help reduce those prices uh, whether it be through assistance, through creating a better market, uh, and also by pointing out the, the dangers of bringing Huawei in so that they can become real competitors. Now, Congress has been drafting legislation that would help promote this sort of a process. Mm-hmm. Attorney General Barr recently suggested that U.S. firms invest in Nokia and Ericsson in particular. Mm-hmm. You're talking about also the potential for collaboration. All of these measures seem like they would free the supply chain or free U.S. organizations to tap a more trusted supply chain, but they're going to take time. How long do you think we're looking at? 
Well, there's no question we are late to this competition. And so we need to look in the short term at ways to mitigate the risk of having Huawei uh, be the sole supplier. And that risk is twofold. First of all, any sole supplier creates a risk to the supply chain. And if you have any doubt about that, look what's going on now with coronavirus and the effect on the global economy. As people worry, China won't be able to fulfill its obligations. But beyond that, because of the nature of the Huawei relationship with the Chinese government, there's a national security risk, which I think is uppermost in the concern of, of U.S. minds. So here are some things we can do to mitigate. We can build the capability using software to at least shield or mitigate the risk to data that flows, even if part of the infrastructure is on Huawei. We can also reduce the extent of infrastructure that Huawei is uh, operating in so that we can then ultimately, on the more important elements of the network, bring competitors in. And finally, we can work with uh, other government agencies to help free up spectrum that can, again, jumpstart the marketplace for a certain kind of infrastructure. Now, let's talk about that spectrum a right. little bit. What do you propose and what would it achieve? Well, there are, are elements of the spectrum that are particularly useful if you're using, you know, routers that are uh, at the core of, of your uh, operating system, as opposed to antennas or base stations that may be relatively minor in terms of the overall ecosystem. The problem has been up to now, much of that spectrum is dominated by DOD, which means if you're in the civilian business, you don't really have an incentive to build infrastructure that operates with that type of spectrum. If we can at least have sharing, as I think the defense secretary said yesterday or today, then there'll be an incentive to start to build or increase investment in the kinds of infrastructure that would apply at that level of spectrum. And again, that helps reduce the advantage that Huawei now has. Finally, RSA isn't the only thing going on at RSA. Being the largest cybersecurity conference in the world, the event creates its own gravity, pulling other events into its orbit. One of these was the Cloud Security Alliance Summit, and Scott Ferguson, ISMG's managing editor of News Desk and our roving reporter at the event, caught up with John Yeo, Global Vice President of Research at the Cloud Security Alliance after the event. His conversation was on microservices and containers and where the industry is currently falling short. Here they are. Yeah, we're doing a lot of research in that area. We're trying to really empower developers to build in security as early as possible in the life cycle, right? So we're, we have a, a three of a four-part series that we just launched on building and implementing secure microservices architectures. And as we've seen with the use of containers and microservices, there's a big challenge when it comes to compliance. I think the further you segment things off, I think there's a benefit of that certainly from a functionality perspective. But then you also have a lot more pieces to either secure or to make compliant. So the challenge comes into how do we grant proper access control to containers and microservices? How do we make those environments compliant? And that's what our guidance hopes to achieve. Mm -hmm. uh, we were also speaking a little bit about Kubernetes and how popular that's become as an orchestration. Where are the security flaws that your group is starting to see with that? Yeah, I think that's just the thing. With, uh, with orchestration tools, when you're looking at the use of thousands of these different containers, uh, yeah, how do you build compliance that's either standardized and how do you properly implement it across thousands of container environments? And so we talk about that from uh, how it's deployed from a Kubernetes, from an orchestration perspective. But we also talk about how it's secured. And so how do we give 
proper access controls, how do you manage those keys, how do you either do temporary controls around access to those containers, or even do we have the right privileged users that have access to that. Maybe it's a read and write, or a read or write only type of function. So uh, lots of different ways to pack that up. What's great about containers is the amount of usage, the customization. Uh, the challenge is, again, securing those multiple environments. You mentioned access a, a couple times. Where, Where's the fault lines with that? Where, where does it fall short? Is it giving too much access, or yeah. is that just a problem with development itself? Sure. I, I think when you're deploying thousands of containers, uh, you want something simple and something that's going to have default settings. So when you do that in a customized environment, uh, you know, where's your default going to be? Sometimes you might, your default might be the minimum but there's certain more secure containers that you need to add more security layers to. Well, when you have thousands of containers, uh, it's hard to identify and understand which ones I need to implement tighter controls on. So our guidance hopefully gives you a, a chance to identify those and tools and techniques to actually implement those security practices on. And our developers, security folks, IT admins, are they looking for a framework to kind of help them along with this? I think we need as much guidance as we have, right? Uh, security and awareness is really behind what we're trying to do. And even though it might seem like common knowledge in a lot of cases, boy, we see breaches and incidents all the time that could be the smallest thing where it's compromised credentials or something really silly. Like, why does, why does the attacker have so much access when they penetrate one environment? And so if we can eliminate that and restrict that, I think it's a huge deal when it comes to anything being compromised mm. and what, what kind of data is lost, what kind of access is lost. When we talk about developers and developing for the cloud and we talk with Kubernetes and containers and microservices, where are we falling short with security? Where, where do your, um, your, your audience, where, where do they need the most help? Where, where, where do they find the most problems? I think one thing is having a nice process a secure process on using containers. Uh, it's easy to get excited about how agile containers are, how easy they are to use, and sometimes we can get forget the little things as far as just building the right security measures around that. And so having checklists to make sure, hey, we're doing X, Y, Z the right way, I think that's pretty important, not just for developers, but for the architects that are building these environments, for the operators that are operating these application systems, managing these systems. Uh, it's a shared responsibility across all these different players that use containers and microservices. So that's another thing. It's like, hey, you know, uh, how can we all understand the, the process of how things are being used and how can we be part of the security of it, too? That's it for this week's ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Nick Holland. Catch you next time.